And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they cried out in one voice, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Well, hey, church, so glad to see you today. A little bit of a different environment. We have people uh, present in our foyer, which is good. There's actually real people here, and the, and the crowd is increasing. And I'm just excited today to share with you a word that God's placed in my heart. We continue in this series, Tribe. And um, today, I, I, I'm not always like a, a title um, guy, like giving you the title of the message. But today, I want you to write down, if you're taking notes, Unity in the Age of Negativity and Offense. Unity in the age of negativity and offense. Um, obviously, we're living in a very unique time. Um, I don't think this is so unique. I believe this has happened in the past in our culture. Um, but this is unique for us and for the church and for the time we're in. And if we as the body of Christ are going to make an impact on the culture we're called to influence, we as believers in Jesus need to be united. We, when we need to know what we're united around. And we need to make sure that our voice is one voice, not a divided voice. Um, social reforms and social change um, are really only the symptoms of the real problem. And for those of us who are in Christ, we know that the real problem in the world is sin. Amen? It's sin. And the only way that you can treat sin is with spiritual transformation. That's the only way it happens. And some of us, it, it doesn't settle well with us because we want to believe that we can fix the problem. Do you remember when you came to Christ and, and when someone says, hey, you need, to you need to surrender your life to Jesus and you need to be saved? You'd be like, saved from what? You know, initially. You don't even really know it, but you're like, you need to be saved from yourself. You, ne you need to humble yourself and you need to receive that which you couldn't purchase on your own um, from Jesus. And then when you do that, you start to see um, life through a different lens. I was just praying about this this morning. I feel like the Lord gave me three things. You can write these down. Forgiveness must be on the forefront of your life. Forgiveness. It has to be. And forgiveness in every aspect of your life. Forgiveness um, with your brothers and sisters, with your spouse, with your, fam with your family, with your neighbors. Forgiveness must be on the forefront. Discernment must be exercised daily. Discernment must be exercised daily. You can't have discernment one day and say, well, I, was, I discerned something a month ago. Well, listen, let's work on having discernment on a daily basis, which happens when we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit and we allow the Holy Spirit to speak in us and through us. And finally, love must be present in our relationships. Love must be present in our relationships. And I feel the necessity to say this because um, this is... Well, well, let me just back up before this is. The enemy... Our enemy, our adversary, is a deceiver, right? He deceives us, attempts to deceive us, and deceives society. And so what he tends to do is he takes a portion of truth and attaches it to something else that's a lie. And it's so easy for us to say, ah, oh, amen, I love it, and I'm attaching myself to it. But that's how the enemy works. You remember in the Garden of Eden, he did the same thing. That's how it started. He says, you will surely die. Well, it was a part truth to that because they didn't immediately die. It was only later on that they would die, but he told them a part truth. And that's how he presents himself even today. There's deception in the way that he presents things to the, to the culture, to people, and even to the church. I get frustrated when I hear people say, we just need to love. And I don't know about you, but I just get frustrated about that. 
Because I know society has an, expl- an, an, an explanation of what they see as love. But God has an explanation of how he sees love. I, I wasn't... Um, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. This is love through the eyes of God. This is, this is his love. This is not a societal love. It's not a political love. It's not a cultural, worldly love. This is God's love. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, listen to this, it is not easily angered. We're still talking about love. We're still talking about love. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. No record of wrong. This is the love of God. So so in our culture today, do you notice how in order to demonstrate love, It's all over the place. I know in my marriage, if I want to move forward in strength, um, the only way that I can do that is love in a way that's God-honoring to say, I'm not holding the past against us in our unity to one another. I'm putting it behind us. Not because it's not significant, not because it didn't matter, but this is the demonstration of godly love to the people that I love. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Listen to this, so it's interesting as it, as it continues on, that this final thought that Paul writes to the church of Corinth is in the dynamic of love. Listen to what it says. It says, they, prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. He's saying we don't know it all. We just know portions of it. He says, but when completeness comes, that's when we're standing in the presence of God, what is in part disappears. So he says, now I fully know because I'm in the presence of God. That's why uh, to live is Christ Christ and to die is gain. Well, how can I die and gain? Because I'm in his presence. It's all exposed. It's complete. And then this is what he says right after this expression of talking about love. When I was a child, I talked like a child. Now, wait a second. Oh, I thought we were still talking about love. He is. You know why? He's trying to lay an example saying children see love a certain way. But those who are in Christ see it a certain way. And if you're not careful, you're going to start saying, well, that's not love. And then he immediately goes and says, no. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put off the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. And then we will see face to face. So again, he says, now I know in part, but then I will fully know as I am fully known. There's a powerful thing that we need to make sure that we are aware of in society. And if you're not careful, um, you'll start looking for an alternate antidote to the world's problems. And, And we don't need an alternate antidote. We know who it is. It's Jesus, right? And he, he is the only one that ushers in healing, hope, and confidence for the things of the future. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds our future. And so with that before us, we can walk and live by faith. We are the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, right? We are called out to form a new kingdom a new tribe, right? And that's what God has called us to do. And we have to make sure that that what we stand under is the name of Jesus, that we stand under and we stand upon the name of Jesus. And some of us, we want to believe that that our attachment to movements in society will bring healing. Now, hear me now, because sometimes what you, uh, this is what I'm saying. 
healing of any reconciliation, whether it be racial, whether it be social, economic, educational, whatever it may be, will not come in our attempt to heal it apart from God. That's been our nature from the very beginning. It's like, God, <laughs> we got this. We can do it on our own. I appreciate the input, you know, from your word, but we're going to do it in our, in, on our own. It's our problem. We're going to figure it out. But no, that's a lie from the enemy. We cannot figure it out in our own strength. It only leads us to greater division, not greater unity. Revelation 5, which is the verse that we've been talking about, it says, by his blood... He has ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and people and nation. And he has made us a kingdom and a priest to God. It's either faith or it's fear. One's going to win in your life. And, and faith is, and this is another thing. This is what our society says. You ever hear someone say, you just need to have faith. And again, part of me is like, well, no, there it is. There's that little, you just have to have faith. Well, faith in what? Faith in what? Faith in the tree? You know, faith in the clouds? Faith on, well, you know what, you hear what I'm saying? Our culture is so deceptive. You just have to have faith. Well, faith in what? Our faith is in the name that's above every other name. It's in the name of Jesus. That's what our faith is in. Our hope is in Jesus. And we need to make sure that we don't operate in fear. And I'm going to tell you right now, fear, it manifests itself in control, in control. And you see it now in our culture today. Every time something happens, I said this a few weeks ago, but I remember when 9-11 happened. I, re I remember when past pandemics have happened. I remember when other racial issues have come about. And I remember every time there's a social thing, fear presents itself. And then what does the societal governmental structures do? Control. Control. That's what fear produces. It creates and produces a greater control. To try to, to try to provide greater protection. But we can't, the only, the only security that we'll ever find is when our faith and our hope and our trust is in Jesus. It's if we try to create an artificial security by controlling everything, there's no freedom in that. There's no freedom in it. In order for us to walk in strength and unity, we need to recognize what causes disunity and division. I've been reading, um, I don't know, I've been reading a lot about history. And in our culture today, we're being told about our history and our origin of our nation. And um, it would be neglectful to say that um, every person who was involved in the founding of our nation was God-honoring. Um, they weren't, but majority of them were. And to understand that the men, the founders of this nation, many of them loved and honored and were devoted to the word of God. And it's interesting because... Uh, any of you like history? Any of you like love reading history? And it's a lost art. And, uh, and, and nowadays you just turn on the news and you get fed negativity for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then you wonder why your life is so miserable um, is because that's what you're consuming 24-7. But when you read the history of our nation, you cannot help but notice how much God was involved in the brokenness in the chaos, in the things that were not right, and in the things that were wrong, God was still present. Sound familiar? It's in my home. Things aren't perfect, but God is present. When you honor him and humble yourself before him, God is still present. It doesn't mean perfection is evident, but God works in the midst of the mess. God is still there, and God was there at the founding of our nation. And I've watched. I, I just began to, to, to do a little research, a little research, 
And over the course of not, not many years, this hasn't been hundreds of years we're talking, we're talking about 40 years, 50 years at the most, maybe even less than that. But over that period of time, um, chaos and division has, has increased in our nation because we refuse to submit ourselves under God. Now, say what you want about the founding of the nation, but I find it fascinating that many of the things that we do, the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God, indivisible, meaning we cannot be divided if we are under God. You pull out any, any currency that's in your pocket and it'll say, in God we trust. There's a, there's a position of saying, I am under God. I'm under God. The only way that that comes about is not through false humility to God, but a recognition of who he is and who I am in his eyes. I, 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 I think it is inappropriate for us to suggest that God cannot be present if brokenness is present. For many of us, we'll say, well, there's still things that, that are not right. There will always be things that are not right until we're in the presence of God. Does it mean we neglect them? Absolutely not. Does it mean that we should ignore people who are in pain and people that who are dealing with injustice? Not at all. But we need to recognize where healing comes from. I've just wrote some things down and it's just fascinating to me. And it sounds depressing, but I want you to know that that God is still in the midst of all this and he's still working. He's still ever present and the church will continue to thrive in the midst of chaos. Listen to these things I just wrote down. We've had removal of prayer from public schools. The removal of the Ten Commandments, which apparently, according to that um, legal brief, was because it was harmful for children to see. Um, The devaluing of the family unit. In our culture today, we call abortion a women's rights. We mock and demean the God-given roles within marriage. We then attempt to redefine marriage. We then attempt to redefine sexuality and gender. And our culture has deliberately removed everything where God's stamp is on it. Now, I'm just going to be really honest. We are either God's people and God's children or we're not. We either submit ourselves under his authority and believe that real healing and reconciliation comes from his word or we believe we can accomplish it in our own strength. And we need to make sure that our focus and our object of our faith is on the things of Jesus. It would also be inappropriate if I didn't say this at the end of all that, that this is a demonic spiritual force that we're fighting. And for some of us, we'll say, oh, those people, oh, that party, or oh, those individuals, or oh, that news channel, or oh, that commentator. No, no, listen, there may be people that advocate against the things of God, but as people of God, according to Scripture in Ephesians 6, it says that we don't fight against flesh and blood. This is what it says. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, this is what it says, is not against flesh and blood. The church needs to remember that. Like we need to remember that because if not, then everything starts happening in the church. Well, you should, you should, you, you, no, it's not against flesh and blood. And why is, why is that so important? Because it allows us to grow in unity under the things of God and say, this is a demonic thing. It's a spiritual thing. But against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly realms. I love this. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. 
And I love that. It doesn't say if it comes. It says when it comes. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. I just say, like, you, you have to get the word of God in your spirit. And I'm telling you right now, if, if you know how the enemy works, you'll understand why this is so important. Because part truth is not truth. We need to get all of the truth of God. Because if not, we're easily deceived. It says in the end times, people will be so easily deceived. We live in a culture now, everyone wants to attach themselves to a movement. Attach myself to this. And, and listen to me, that's great, that's fantastic. But the moment my passion and my, my commitment to a movement becomes greater than my commitment on my passion to the things of God, there's a problem with it. There's a problem with it because this is what I really believe. And it's not to take pot shots of things. I believe Jesus is the answer. And I believe in a chaotic world, sometimes Jesus gets the back seat table because it says, no, we need to address other things. No, we don't. We need to let Jesus be the entry point. He is the main entree. You know what I'm saying? He's not, he's not like an add-on to the conversation. And for Christians, we just need to be careful because a lot of times we're like, yeah, but this is what we need. We need this reform. We need this reform. Yes, yes, yes. But what we ultimately need is Jesus and Christ believers at the front of it or nothing will change. Nothing will change. What was I saying? It says, and stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I just think peace needs to be more evident in our face, in our day-to-day. Like, let people know, like, hey, there's something wrong with you in a weird way, in a good way, but I don't know, either you're on medication or something, but you're always happy, you're always smiling, you're always believing, why? Because everything around me determines my peace, my joy? No, it's he who's within me determines it. And so we need to make sure that when people see us, we're not always the people saying, oh, did you see that post? Oh, did you hear that article? Oh, did you see what this person did? Did you see what the mayor did? Did you see what the president did? Did you see, no, listen, we have one savior. We have one king. We have one Lord. And we need to make sure that he has the object of our obsession on a daily basis. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming hours of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. (laughs) One of the reasons we're so divided as a culture is because we're so easily offended. And an offended culture is difficult to heal. I don't know. I I was trying to, I was praying about this to try to figure out how to best talk about it. So I'm just going to talk about me. Is that all right? I'll just talk about me and how easily offended I am. Um, When it comes to my marriage. Like, I always thought, like, I was really good. And typically, I, I feel like I am when it comes in a larger context. Like, um, and you wouldn't know this, and you shouldn't have to. And you know, when you're a parent, you deal with things in your role as a parent that you're expected to deal with. You don't come home, your little kids don't come home, and you say, oh, we're tight on the budget again, you know, and you put that on a three-year-old. That's not their responsibility. It's your responsibility. You're the parent. And, and so there's roles in being a pastor that, that I've just learned. Like, I, I have to have the Holy Spirit present in me. I need to be prayed up. I need to be filled up. Because if not, the littlest things will have me doing, you know, roles down, down, you know, down the street because I'm so offended and upset about what someone said. And I've learned early on, I I always share this story, but the first message I I, I spoke, I got the most criticism I ever got to this day, to this day. 
And I was almost like the Lord, like, was it that bad? And the funniest thing was, is I prepared more for that message than any other message I ever have. It was like two and a half weeks. I'm like studying and reading. And, and it was almost like it was irrelevant. It didn't matter that what I preached or how I preached or what I said. I believe God was teaching me something there. Saying, if you think that, that applause is going to sustain you, then you're not called to this. It's not going to work. And I believe the same is true in any aspect of our maturity, that we need to make sure that we encourage ourselves in the Lord. Not only affirmation of other people, we're supposed to encourage one another in the Lord, but we need to make sure that we encourage ourselves before the Lord. Sometimes um, when I'm in an argument with my, with my bride, uh, I'll, I'll take the, the silence direction, which is really bad for, a, for an exhorter or an extrovert to do as a tactic with someone who's an introvert. You see the problem with that? She's so happy, and, and, and I'm so angry, and I'm hoping that she sees that I don't want to talk, but she loves it because I'm not talking. And I say, she's like, this is great, you know? And I'm like, well, can't you see I'm angry? She's like, well, this is fantastic. You just don't bother me, you know? And I'm like, but my tactic would be to retreat, right? And, and I notice sometimes when we're, in, when we're in an argument that the reason I don't approach my wife is because I'm offended. I'm hurt. And I think of ways to tell her I'm hurt without telling her I'm hurt. So I'll do things. Kick things, (laughs) neglect things, yell at the kids. And and I don't always do it intentionally. It's just because I'm hurt. I'm hurt and I do things. And and it's because I've chosen to stay in the posture of offense. Like I'm choosing that. Like, and and you, you you know this. If you're an adult, you know when you're offended and when you choose it. You're like, well, I don't care. You ever hear that come out of your mouth? I just don't care. You're like, well, you just, you know, backed over the curb and ran over a bike on your way out because you're so angry. I don't care. I don't care. You know, and you're like, whoa, okay, well, this is really good. No, you should care, but why don't you? Because you're offended. Yeah. Now, this is what I find so interesting. When you, when you, and you'll be able to, to take what I'm telling you in a societal perspective. Do you see what the, remember, our enemy is, is called the great deceiver, right? Yeah. He deceives us. Yeah. So look at it in, in societal terms. There was an injustice that happened. Right? There was an injustice that happened in our culture. And you can even throw the, the pandemic into this in some regard, but there was an injustice that happened. Then in order for us to come to a place of healing so that justice could happen, there needs to be a method and approach for us to be unified in healing. Healing doesn't happen when we're not united. Whether we're, we're in Christ or we're not. The only way that healing happens is if we're united under one another with one another. But as body of Christ, we see it a little bit different. But look what the enemy does. Immediately when an injustice or wrong has happened, it's not a, play, a posture of healing. It's a posture of black lives matter, blue lives matter, all lives matter. Do you see this? And all of a sudden, the enemy starts saying, pick your spot. Pick your spot. Go ahead, pick your spot. And in a culture, we all get uptight. We say, well, well, you know, well, they have a point, and they have a point, and well, they have a point. Well, actually, everyone has a point. But the only way, listen to me, I'll bring it back to my marriage. If I went to my wife and I said, hey, listen, I'm offended, but I don't care what you think. You need to hear me. And then I get it all out, and she says, well, and I say, no, no, I don't care. I need you to hear me. Now, that's great, right? That's great. But how are we united as one? You're not. Points are being made, but no healing is transpiring. The only way that healing comes to a place of fruition 
is if everyone who has a differing opinion comes to a place to understand one another. And truth be told, I believe more Americans love one another, care for one another, honor one another, cherish one another. We don't see differences as divisions. We see differences as strength. We see differences at what makes us American. But I'm telling you, there are demonic spirits at work in this, trying to pit us against one another, causing us, even in the church, to pick sides. What side are you on? You can't say this, you can't say that. How about we just be on Jesus' side? How about we just say, listen, I, I believe that, that Jesus brings healing in it. And I know some of you are like, well, that's just an easy way out. No, it's not. Not if you believe he's a solution. I believe he's the solution to all of it. And I believe every side has a valid perspective on it. And I believe every side has a, has a voice. And the only reason I say that is because the moment you say your side, your opinion doesn't matter, I've made a declaration at the beginning, I don't care about unity. Because the only way unity can happen is if we come together. And the truth be told, all of us in some extent are wrong. All of us are. All of us are. It's like, well, well, my position is right. Oh, is it? It's great if you're living by yourself, but we're not. We're living with other people who have different views, different experiences, different perspectives, different you know, uh, relationships with people. So that what does it require us to do? It requires us to listen to one another, actually care about one another, to be in a posture of like, I don't know everything, to empathize with one another, to say, hey, explain to me what's going on, to love and to listen to people. It's crazy because in, in our in our in our Bible, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, do not forsake together the gathering or keep meeting with one another. And I believe the reason that it instructs us in Scripture to continue to do that is because it helps keep gossip and dissenting views at bay. It allows us to talk and to love and to care and to say, hey, what's going on? Help me understand. Help me see this. And this is the danger in today's culture. Culture is shaping too many people's thinking, and this is not. This is not. I can tell, hear me now, and the only reason I can tell is because I've been there and I've done that, okay? Um, I, I can tell when CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, I can tell when the news is, is forming your, 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 your focus of the future. I can tell it. I can tell by the way you're talking and what you're saying and what you're suggesting and, and all the different things. And I can tell, but I can tell when you're in this. I can tell when you're in this and you may see the chaos around you like, man, God is good. When's the last time you said God is good? Do you know God's character doesn't change by what's going on around us? Isn't it, you, listen, I'm telling you, listen, in a culture today where, where sin is prevalent, mindful, it's always been. <laughs> they'll have you say, don't say God is good because look, it's going on around us. No, God is good. And he always will be good. And he's the only thing that can change a chaotic and dysfunctional society. He has to be brought to the forefront of it. All trials bring with it two options. You can write this down. Two options. Many of you know this. You've heard it said before. You either get better or you get bitter. But I look at it like this. I either grow or I go or I receive and I leave. <laughs> I go and, or I grow, I receive or I leave. And I um, realize that in my marriage. When we're in fights, my response is this. I either sit there and I grow in, in maturity and in my differences of opinion, or I go. I walk away. 
And the same is with family. You ever, you ever been somewhere and they're like, well, where's, where's so-and-so at the family party? Ah, uh, they're not here. Why? Well, they haven't received. They just left. I've, I've been doing, I've been in church long enough, and even before I, I was called to the pastorate, I, I've been in church long enough to watch people bounce in and bounce out, you know, to come and to go. And, and sometimes it's for the right reasons, but, but often what God is really trying to do in that person is change what's within them, not what's, without, not what's around them. And unless you give God the opportunity to change what's in you, wherever you go, the same problem will be. And so we need to make sure, God, search my heart. Search my heart. Search what's within me. What's going on in my heart? Do I have a sense of brokenness, a sense of insecurity, uh, something that's wrong in me? Help me, God. Search my heart in it. As we approach people, we need to make sure that we speak in love. And we care. I believe one of the biggest things that we're going to have to face as a family when we gather together is the issues that we now have with everyone else in the church body because we saw what they did or didn't post on social media. I'm being too honest now. Um, Seriously. Some of us are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe so-and-so did this. I can't believe so-and-so did that. Do they do? Oh, they like that. They don't like that. I can't believe they did. Really? This is your chance now to grow in maturity to talk to people face-to-face, to go up to them face-to-face and say, hey, can I talk to you? Not to correct people, not to scold people, not to point your finger at them. Actually, in a place, in a position of love to say, hey, can I talk to you about something so I can greater understand the perspective you have in regard to this? We don't, need, we don't need policing in our culture. We need people that love one another enough not to walk away from a, from a teaching moment to say, yep, I was right, and to say, no, I have a greater friend now in that moment, and I have a greater strength in it. And so as believers in Christ, we're going to have a good opportunity as soon as we gather together for us to grow. And listen to me, if you don't deal with it, offense is a root and it begins it can become one and it'll begin to grow and you'll be like no it's good it's good it's good no you can push it off but unless you deal with it it'll eventually have you saying just what other people said at some point I'd rather leave than receive I'd rather go than grow and the truth is is unless you deal with those things now you're gonna have a hard time receiving from the Lord and I've realized this with people I've realized it in my own life that when I neglect areas of, of humility, and if I don't deal with issues of pride, it's really hard to receive from God. Right. It's really hard to hear his voice. Yeah. And to say, hey, what should I do? Yeah. When you're operating in a great sense of pride, you don't pray for other people. Yeah. You, you, don't, you don't pray for your enemies. You don't pray for those who persecute you. You're obsessed with wrongdoing, so all you do is focus on that, and God has become the second seed in it. The antidote to the healing has become secondary. Let's focus our our eyes upon Jesus. Amen? Amen. Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. To overlook an offense. You know how freeing it is when people say something that's so offensive and you just let it roll off your shoulder? Some of you are a lot better at it than others. I'm still working on it. (laughs) But one thing I have worked on really well over the years is when people say negative things about the church. In years past, I would would turn into a dangerous person. Um, But who do they think they are? They want to... 
where did they live? You know what I mean? I, I didn't do that, but I, I would think that. And uh, I, I remember getting to the point where I'm so frustrated. Like, how dare they? How much, pe- how much people give and how much people sacrifice and how much people's blood and sweat and tears are into what we're doing. And then I got to a point like, who are you trying to defend? Yourself? Or is it about God? And often when we're offended, it's not about God or anyone else. It's about our own insecurities. And so anytime you get offended, allow God to say, God, why am I getting so offended? Why? And usually if you follow it back, it's a core belief that you have. And sometimes when God needs to readjust a core belief, it's painful. It hurts. It's not easy. Because everything in your life has been built upon this premise. And if the premise is wrong, God needs to rip it out. And ripping it out hurts. But God knows that unless you build your life on a sure foundation, when the water comes and the wind comes, and the wind comes, it will blow down the house that you were building upon, that that foundation you were building upon because it was not rooted in the things of God. And so God's actually doing this because he loves you. Because he wants you to last. He wants you to endure the season. Ecclesiastes 7.21, it says, Do not pay attention to every word people say. Lord, help us hear that. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. It's not saying that we should be careless with our words, but what it's saying is don't allow the enemy to allow someone in your world to say something foolish about you or about the people you love and to have you become ensnared and trapped because of what they've said. Because then you're the one that's stuck. And they just keep going around blasting off all this stuff and you're offended and now you're stuck in a trap because you actually allowed it to get to your heart and you haven't dealt with it and healed it. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. A culture of division is fueled, listen, it's fueled by us seeing our differences and using that as ways to divide ourselves rather than using the umbrella of God to see ourselves as one family. Matthew 22, 37 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I've heard, it's you, this may be simple to you, but I wanted to share it anyway. An offended heart is not God-honoring. It's a divided heart. Half my, half my heart is offended, and God, you can have the other part that's good. It's dishonoring to God. Proverbs 13, 12, many of you know this verse, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Nothing significant has come out of someone who has had half a heart in it. I know through coaching in sports, when you're coaching somebody, they could be the most talented person in the world, but if their heart's not in it. You know, um, serving in church, I always tell the team, you can get the hands if you manipulate and coerce people. You know what I mean? You got to serve. You got to serve. God loves someone who serves. We're servants of God. We're servant leaders. We love to serve. And you can coerce and manipulate to get people to serve. Use their hands. But if their heart's not in it, they do more damage serving than they do helping because their heart's not attached to their hands. And so you got people walking around, you know, all angry. You're like, oh, God, what's, you know, I thought you were, you're on team, are you? You're like, yeah, well, why are you so angry? You know, and it's like, well, I have to do this because if I don't, no, you don't. No, we are not forced followers of Jesus Christ. We freely follow. And if you have forgotten that, um, you need to remember that, that we freely follow Jesus because of what he's given us um, on the cross. Amen? 
Proverbs 23, 7. For as a man thinks, Proverbs 23, 7. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So is he. There's a reason why your thoughts are so important. Because you ultimately will become what you constantly dwell on and what you think. And you may not even agree with that. I realize that I used to share this verse all the time. Even sharing with you now, I kind of get a little bit like nervous because I'm like, you better be careful when you say that. Because um, if I believe, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, I really need to have a self-awareness of what I'm thinking about. Really need to have a self-awareness of what I'm thinking about. And can I tell you something? You're the only person that can give access to thoughts. Yeah. You're the only one. Like, you, you can't say, well, it, uh, uh, the guy on CMN, you know, what? what? My neighbor, they, they said, what? who gives access to that thought? You do. Yeah. You're the only one that gives access to that thought. And you're the only one that can hold it captive and hold it to the obedience of Christ. And either say, this is of God or it's not of God. And when you do that, it's actually like you're giving your soul the nourishment it needs. Um, and some of us have been on a fast food diet this entire quarantine, a spiritual one where it's like we're not feeding ourselves well enough so that we can sustain in the midst of it. We got to make sure that we're feeding our soul with what's right. Amen. You won't think about everything you feel. Listen to this thought, but you will feel everything you think about. You won't think about everything you feel but you will feel everything you think about. You'll feel it. For those of you who are struggled in school being a little anxious, you know what I'm talking about. I felt that. So I'd always think about, oh, I don't want to go to school. Oh, I don't. Some of you, uh, I was talking with Josh the other day. He had to go to the dentist, and I saw him do, doing a weird walk. I'm like, what's wrong with you? He's like, i got to go to the dentist. I'm like, well, I love the dentist. He's like, oh, no, I hate the dentist. It's like, you know, and, but as you think, you know, uh, and, and you start to feel it. Why? Because I'm thinking that way. I'm thinking that way. That's what keeps people out of church, by the way. It's the thoughts of what will happen when they get here, the judgment, the ridicule, the shame. And it literally makes them feel physically bad. And so they're like, oh, I just don't want to do it. We need to make sure that we're aware of what we think because it ultimately will affect the way that we feel. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Seek those things. Seek those things. It's not like they're going to fall out of the sky and hit you in the face, the things of God. Although if you look up, you should be able to test, test of, that should be a testament to the greatness and the magnitude of God. But we need to seek after the things of God, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And here it is, set your mind. Set your mind on things above, not on things on this earth. Set your mind on things above. I, I think on a more practical way, you need to figure out how to do that for yourself because no one else can tell you how to do that. No one else can tell you how to set the thermometer of your heart on the things above. You have to figure that out. And unless you have developed something in your life, and can I just say this? Every one of us are different. I've had people come to the church and they say, every morning I get up early and I seek the Lord. And people are like, I don't get up early. I sleep late. I go to the Lord at night when no one's around. And then I hear other people saying, no, that's not scriptural. You should do this and you should read this and you should approach this way. New Testament and Old Testament. You should do this. I pray this way and I pray that way. I lock myself in a private room. I shut the lights off and I turn. I'm like, my gosh, how about this? 
Just seek after God. And when you seek after God, you're going to develop a rhythm and a pattern with God in walking with Him and doing life with Him that is actually the way that He's designed you to do life with Him. We've made it really hard in the church. It's like, can you imagine if someone gave you the prerequisites to how to be a friend with someone? And they're like, okay, I gotta like, I gotta laugh when they tell a stupid joke. <laughs> and then I gotta, I gotta like make sure I'm two feet apart all the time, or I gotta make sure that like I show up ten minutes early. All these rules. It's like you can never be you. You're never permitted to actually be yourself. But we didn't put those rules in place. God didn't put those rules in place. We did. And that's what makes it hard sometimes. But develop a pattern for your own life. Almost done. Negative thinking can li- cannot. Negative thinking cannot lead to a positive life. Some of you just need to get that on paper and remind yourself of that. Where you set your mind matters. Where the head goes, the body's going to follow. Some of you wonder why your days suck all the time. I'm serious. It's because you're constantly thinking of negative things. What's my future going to hold? What's the the economy going to do? What's the social environment going to be like? What's the political environment going to be like? What is all? Can I just remind you of something? This is not our permanent home. It's not our permanent home, and you have to be aware of that. Hear me. If you're expecting a utopia here, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Do you remember that prayer where Christ was praying to the Father and says, God, I know this world, it's chaotic and it's disruptive and it's filled with sin and despair and brokenness and all these things. He's like, but God, don't take them out of the world. May they be the salt and the light in the world so that they can lead people to me. And there's something in this that we need to recognize that we are on mission. Listen, if you're expecting a a vacation, but but in actuality we're in a war, you'll go crazy. And you'll blame everybody else because everything is wrong. We're not on vacation. We're sons and daughters of the Most High, ambassadors of Christ, fighting a spiritual war. And until we recognize that, it doesn't mean that we don't enjoy the blessings that God has given us, but it's a spiritual war that we're fighting. And so if you think it's a vacation, you know, and you throw your feet up and you have a drink and everything is perfect, and then every time something happens, you're like, oh, can I, I can't even get a break. No, because it's not a vacation. We're on mission for God. And he's the only one that's going to fulfill us when we're on mission. Romans 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and, and the perfect will of God. Positive thinking is not a replacement for God. And it frustrates me to all get out. Where I talk to people about the Lord and they say, you're right, just need to be positive. Well, no, no, no. I'm, I just don't mean positive thinking. I'm like, yeah, you know, look, the sky, it's clear. I'm breathing, I'm living. God is, you know, they will say God is good. They're just like, just positive thinking. I'm like, well, no. Positive thinking won't save you. Social reform Social justice won't save people. I just want you to hear this. I want you to hear my heart in it. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We're instructed to care for people. We're not a humanitarian aid organization. When we feed people, we clothe people, we do it in the name of someone. I don't call up and say, hey, there's a glass of water for you. It's from me. I can't save you. 
I can't, I can't redeem you and reconcile you, and you can't stand in my righteousness. It can only be through Jesus. And so when we do these things, we do it in the name of Jesus. That's where real change comes about when spiritual transformation and spiritual justice is linked to social justice. Then all of a sudden we give real hope to people. And it's a demonstration of real love to people. I mean, you tell me. If you were gone from this world and you were just looking through a window and you saw your children going through life and people would come up and they'd care for them, they'd financially financially support them and they'd give them food and they'd give them clothes, but no one talked to them about God. Is that love? Is it love if there's an eternal life beyond this life, which we believe, and that's what we're called and that's what our mission focuses? Is it really love? Well, it makes you feel good but it doesn't give life. And that's why we always, what we do, all the things that we do, we're ambassadors of Christ, we're representatives of him. Everything we do, we do in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. Last verse, Philippians chapter four, verse eight. So keep your thoughts. This is from the Passion Translation. I never use this, but this is powerful the way it says it. It says, keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real and honorable and admirable, beautiful, and respectful, pure, and holy, merciful, and kind, and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising Him always. I love that picture. Fasten your thoughts. Fasten them. Strap them on. To what? To everything that is glorious before God. All of His glorious work, praising Him always. It's really hard to praise God when you're complaining at the same time. It's really hard to praise God when you're always offended. And I I just really believe that if there's anything that the enemy is going to try to do right now in your season of life, he's going to want you to regurgitate negativity, to carry offense, to be frustrated, and to say things like this, oh, they just don't get it. They just don't understand. They just don't see it. They're just narrow-minded. And you know what the devil's trying to convince you of? That where you're staying in the place of negativity and offense is going to bring about healing and restoration. It's not. It's a trap. It's a trap. I don't know how to tell you that any more clearly. Like if you're actually going to buy into this deception that in order for us to get greater unity and healing, it's about us picking sides. It's never going to happen. We are one nation under God, when we choose to set our mind on the things above, we will be united and our thinking will be in alignment and we'll walk in the way that we are called to walk. Um, This has been fun, Um, talking to real people um, in front of me. I know you're there, but I want to talk to you just briefly before we close. From day one, when we started broadcasting our messages, um, I'm not going to lie, it's been a challenge to me. There's always cameras. It's not the cameras. It's, it's the absence of faces. I know people are out there, but it's the absence of faces. It's the absence of seeing God's creation and what God can do in a life and the significance of life. And I want you, if you're watching right now, to know that that sin separates us from God. If you want to be offended about anything, be offended about sin. Be offended about a culture that welcomes sin. Don't be offended about the people because they're not surrendered to God yet. They are doing what the 
default nature of our humanity is, is to serve themselves. But those of us who are in Christ, and when we say in Christ, we're in Christ because we've chosen to surrender our opinion under the authority of the word of God. And the Bible says that we're sons and daughters, though who have confessed with our mouth and believe in our heart. When you do that, the Bible says that you've been born again. You're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. And so you say, well, I don't, what does that all mean? I have to say a simple prayer and then all of a sudden, magically, I'm part of the kingdom of God? No, it's not magically. It's an alignment of what has actually transpired. It's you being in alignment with truth and the finished work of Jesus Christ. And it's the confession with your mouth. The word of God says there's power in what is confessed and there's power in our belief in our heart. And out of that belief and out of that confession and out of our repentance, the Bible says that we can be born again. And I want to say a simple prayer with you. Maybe you've been part of the church before. Maybe you're watching for the first time and you're maybe asking yourself the question, why do I need to be saved? Well, because sin separates you from God. Jesus came to earth and he dealt with that sin by going to the cross, being crucified, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of all sin and then being raised to life on the third, on the third day, defeating sin and death. And he offers to all humanity eternal life that comes through him. I'm going to pray right now. And if you want to say this prayer to receive Jesus, I want to encourage you to say it. It's a simple prayer, but it's a significant one. And just repeat this prayer after me. Um, say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I believe that he died on the cross and was raised to life. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen.